Lord, we bless you this morning and we worship you for appointing us to be your divine ambassadors down here on earth. You've called us by heavenly Savior to live in the world even when we are not of the world. And you teach us in your word, King of Glory, uh, that let our works shine so greatly that the heathens shall glorify our Father who is in heaven. Help us, O Lord, even as we live down here on earth, to give you glory and also to impact so many for you and for your honor and glorious name. We have prayed and believed. Amen. Um, a, a, an archdeacon and a leverand at that matter was preaching in Nigeria and he said one time he was traveling at night and he go to a church and it was so late and you know Nigeria can be um, you know difficult and dangerous especially to a man of uh, the cloth or a cleric uh, you know what is happening over there and this man went uh, over to a church and um, specifically to a believer to a pastor at that at, at that uh, mass has been one uh, in his uh, denomination and when he went over there he explained and the man said no we cannot keep you overnight i mean we don't know you and he explained and the man simply said no and this man went to a mosque and he said salam alaikum and um the, this other man the, the the muslims welcomed him and they said wallahi 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 come in come in come in and he slept over in the mosque you see <laughs> and because he was concerned about his safety, he had to wake up very early in the morning and uh, he left just before they discovered he was a Christian. Friends, sometimes we've um, uh, claimed to be believers, but uh, basically uh, the Bible teaches and says, uh, not everyone who says, um, my Lord, my Lord, will inherit uh, the kingdom of heaven. Uh, our Christianity sometimes is one that is very cosmetic. You, you know cosmetics, yeah? <laughs> like a woman who is, is going to, you know, pull off her eyebrows and uh, put the black pen and do a black liner on uh, their lips and everything. Once they wash that off, you may not understand who they are in uh, uh, the morning. I call them cosmetic Christians. Sometimes that is what exactly we've been. Friends, where is the line between us and uh, unbelievers where must this line be uh, drawn essentially what is our relationship uh, with unbelievers what should it be basically that is the question that we answer this morning um our theme this morning is entitled um working with unbelievers to impact the world working with unbelievers to the glory of the lord working with unbelievers to the glory of the lord how far should we go with unbelievers have you heard of statements like do not get equally yoked with um, um, the, the, the heathen or unbelievers? Uh, what does that exactly mean? Today, that is what we are going to look at briefly. Our passage of focus is in 1 Kings chapter 5. That is where we are in our studies of 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 5, that is where we are today. The Bible says, now Hiram, king of Tyre, sent his servants to Solomon. When he heard that they had anointed him king in place of his father, for Hiram had always been a friend of David. Then Solomon sent word to Hiram, saying, You know that David, my father, was unable to build a house for the name of the Lord his God because of the wars which surrounded him until the Lord put them under his soles or the soles of his feet. But now the Lord, my God, has given me rest on every side. There is neither adversary nor misfortune. Behold, I intend to build a house for the name of the Lord my God, as the Lord spoke to David my father, saying, Your son, whom I will set on your throne, um, in your place, will build the house of my name uh, for my name. 
Now therefore command that uh, they may cut for me cedars from Lebanon and uh, my servants will be with your servants and I'll give you wages for your servants according to all that you say. For you know that there is no one among us who knows how to cut timber like the Sidonians. When Hiram had the words of Solomon, he rejoiced greatly and said, Blessed be the Lord, and take note of that verse. Blessed be the Lord. Blessed be uh, the Lord today, who has given to David a white son over the great people. So Hiram sent one to Solomon, saying, I have heard the message which you've sent me. I will do what you desire concerning the cedar and cypress timber. My servants will bring them down from Lebanon to the sea, and I will make them um, into rafts to go by sea uh, to the place where you direct me, and I will have um, them broken up there, and you shall carry them away. Then you shall accomplish my desire by giving food to my household. So Hiram gave Solomon as much as he desired of the cedar and cypress timber. Solomon then uh, gave Hiram 20,000 cores of wheat as as food for his household and 20 cores of beaten oil. That's a lot of food. Solomon would give Hiram year by year. Um, the Lord uh, gave wisdom to Solomon just as he promised him. And uh, uh, there was peace between Hiram and Solomon and the two of them um, made a covenant. Wonderful, uh, wonderful um, truth here uh, that is uh, coming out uh, right now, my dear friend. I told you that the book of Kings, just like any other book in scripture, has themes. And there's a reason as to why these things have been written, even as uh, we see them right now. One theme that filters through this particular chapter is the theme of the fact that the Lord is sovereign. He reigns as the Lord of Israel, but also as the Lord Almighty. Uh, that is what his name Jehovah means. He is self-existent and he basically existed long before the world was created. Now, we forget one thing that the Lord of heaven is actually the Lord of believers and non-believers. In a, a different perspective, though, we submit to the Lord and uh, therefore we are children, but he remains God even to the unbelievers. <laughs> you must remember that. The Bible teaches in uh, um, Philippians 2, 11, that um, finally a time is going to come when every knee, whether they like it or not, shall bow and every tongue shall confess. They may not make a confession of faith, but basically they shall get to a point and realize and they're like, mm, yeah, he is God, you know. And this is why the Bible teaches and says in uh, James chapter 2, must be verse 19, and it says that do you believe that God is God? Uh, he says, yes, you do You do um, well, because even the demons do accept that. They know that, and they shudder. It's not a believing, a believing faith, but, um, uh, you know, an acknowledgement. So God is God, and this is one theme that filters through this particular chapter. So this is what the writer is dealing with, particularly right here. But friend, uh, what I want to draw attention to this morning is the fact that there was a very pertinent and critically important um, relationship between Hiram and Solomon. Now, Hiram was a heathen king, um, so to put it. He was the king of Tyre. If you look at the, your map, your Bible has maps at its back. If you look at your map, you're going to see a place called Tyre and Sidon um, on 
unto the north east um the northeast of um israel way up there on the the Mediterranean, you're going to see it up there now sidon or tyre at that particular time was um ruled by a man called hiram and uh, it was a very affluent place uh there were the leading port seaport on the Mediterranean, and you know most of the business uh, to africa and europe uh, was basically manned by this particular person so he was very, very rich. Now, a peculiar to their location was also the fact that they had uh, um, mountains on which very thick forests grew uh, for cedars and all types of um, very strong wood. Now, Israel, if you know it, if you go to Israel, you're going to see that they don't have those kind of trees. Uh, like they have what they call junipers, uh, not actually junipers, but uh, these, these trees that are uh, basically short, like you see, the one that uh, Elijah is sitting under and, and he's about to die when he's running away from Jezebel, those kind of trees. But now you're going to remember that uh, the temple project, I'm not talking of any other project, but temple project was basically a divine project. You remember God told uh, David in in first chronicles chapter 28 and verse 2 to verse 6 that he would not construct the temple for him but it would be his son which son comes out to be um solomon and the temple was going to be a very uh critically important structure at the center of um, the life of israel uh, not for any other reason but for the fact that God was the God of Israel, and if if he was the God of Israel, they needed a place to worship him, not just a place, but uh, it was going to be a, a, a sign of um, a, the divine presence of God dwelling in the midst of his people. So we can see that God was behind this project. If God was behind this project, he basically permitted that there would be a relationship between Hiram and Solomon. Now, you're going to realize that when David was dying, he is the one that advises um, his son um, Solomon to maintain the relationship that David himself had started with um, Hiram. If you go to, uh, must be uh, 2 Samuel chapter 5 and verse 11, you're going to realize that there was a relationship of this nature between David, the beloved of the Lord, and a man after God's own heart. If you read um, in first Samuel chapter uh, 15 and verse, uh, chapter 13 and verse 15, you realize that truth. And the Bible teaches that in second Samuel 5, 11, the Bible says, then Hiram king of Tyre sent messengers to David with cedar trees and carpenters and stone masons. And they built a house for David. And David realized that the Lord had established him as king over Israel, that he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people. So you're going to see that there was a relationship. But now, friends, you also do want to remember that this woman called Jezebel, whom we shall later see in First Kings uh, chapter 16 onwards, uh, that this lady actually came from Tyre or Sidon, uh, the same place where they were worshipping a different god. They were deeply into... Um, <coughs> Uh, Baal worship or Melkat worship. So you're like, these were heathens. They were unbelievers. How come uh, God permits Hiram? Because we surely know if he had not permitted it, it wouldn't have happened. How does he permit a relationship to the point of the covenant 
in verse 12 being concluded between um, Solomon and Hiram. But this is not the first covenant. David himself had a stunning covenant with, <laughs> with Hiram. Friends, this thing should sober us up. One, you need to understand that the world and everything in it and those who dwell in it belongs unto the Lord. You've got to understand that. Uh, but there is a sense in which many of us do not want to deal with unbelievers at all, at all, in no perspective. And I'm going to qualify that. I'm going to qualify it very soon. Yeah, you get to see that uh, probably if Hiram had not coordinated and cooperated with Solomon, possibly this project would not have been accomplished, or at least not in the time that it was accomplished. It took a long time, about um, 13 years. I think Solomon uh, took seven years constructing his personal house and 13 years constructing the temple. It was a magnanimous project. Uh, this is something that we've gotten to understand. Uh, you see that? But then, why does God permit unbelievers to work with believers? I want to put this in perspective. There is a sense in which our Christianity has become stale and has not been impacting. We've failed to make the impact upon the world that we should make simply because of a misconception that there should completely be no relationship between us and unbelievers. Now, the Lord calls us the salt of the earth. <laughs> when you go to Matthew chapter 5, he says that we are the salt of the earth and we are the light of the earth. Yeah. And now, how is salt going to make impact if it is not seasoned into the souls or into whatever you're cooking? I just want to read this verbatim in Matthew uh, chapter 5 and verse um, 13 uh, for us to get to get perspective about this scripture, my friend. Uh, the Bible says uh, that uh, uh, Matthew 5 13 says that you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and uh, to be trampled underfoot by men. <coughs> You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light up a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Friend, when you look at the context of that passage, it is basically that our light is shining in the darkness. The darkness, uh, John writes using what we call in theology a dualism. He compares two things, the light and darkness, and they are totally, uh, you know, parallel one to another. Light and darkness, uh, you know, so he says light and darkness, meaning that we are the light, and therefore we are only going to make impact if light is shining in the darkness, God wants us to draw unbelievers unto him. But we are separating ourselves totally away from them. And I'm going to qualify that, like I earlier said, that if you're the salt, salt is going to make impact if it is being seasoned in food. But look at we believers. We completely isolate ourselves away from the world. We don't want to mix with them. Absolutely. I mean, what impact are we going to make? God is not saying, and I know most of us quote uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 17, where Paul writes and says, do not be equally yoked with unbelievers, yeah, or with the heathen. <clears throat> look at the perspective. Earlier on, I think in 1 Corinthians 5, 10, 13, he's also speaking about impacting unbelievers. Paul is saying what he basically means there 
is that you're not going to submit to them. You're not going to start doing things the way they are doing them. Yeah, we are in the world, but not of the world. This is what um, uh, St. John writes about Jesus saying in uh, John uh, 17, 11, you see, and I think later 15 and uh, 17, we are in the world, but not of the world. When we deal with unbelievers, we are meant to impact them because there is power in us. And he who is in us is much more greater than the one that is in the world. That is what he teaches in First John uh, chapter uh, 5. He teaches that, you see? So when I go into these unbelievers, they don't have power over me. Of course, I have to exercise caution and only do what the will of the Lord is. You see, I'm relating with them. I'm not going to go to... Um, you know, to divination with them and and start worshipping their evil gods with them. I'm not going to, uh, you know, start walking like an unbeliever if there are five wives and they say, ah, Leverand, you know, you are our friend. We have a second wife here for you. <laughs> one of them told me one day, you're so good a man. You're so good a man. I would have given you a second wife if your faith permitted. <laughs> you hear that? They know their limits. But God has called us to go to these unbelievers and impact them. As a matter of fact, if you look at verse 7, the Bible says, When Hiram heard the words of Solomon, he rejoiced greatly and said, Blessed be to the Lord today. When you interpret that word in Hebrew, it is the one that is used to mean um, a redeeming covenant keeping God. The word he uses is Yahweh. So there, Hiram actually speaks like a believer. Who knows, Hiram could even have converted out of his relationship with David. And right now he submits to the God of the Jews. There is a possibility because the word he uses in verse 7 is a, a, a word that a believer would use. Yeah, even when they are unbelievers that say praise the Lord. But friends, God has called us to go to these unbelievers, live with them, walk with them, work with them and impact them. How many of them are you impacting? with your way of life at work? How many of them are you impacting in your uh, general life and the way that you walk and do things? How many of us? God has called us to go to them. Look at this man. He had what Solomon needed and he Solomon could probably not have accomplished the temple project in the time that he did if he hadn't patterned with um, uh, this man Hiram. Now, friends, this is why most of us, our Christianity is not making impact. When we go out, we are abusing them. Look at how some of us preach the gospel. I'm a preacher of the gospel, um, even in the public domain. Look at how some of us are preaching on the streets, and we are talking to them. Repent. Now you look at you. Repent. You're going to someone's car, and you're shouting, and the way you're packaging the gospel is repelling these people away from them, instead of from God, instead of drawing them close. Now, if they had talked to us in that way, now probably wouldn't have come to Christ. That you're going to die if you don't come to Christ and the way we are packaging it is the wrong way. That look at the way that you're dressed. Excuse me? <laughs> There's a better way of doing that. Praise the Lord. Friends, there are things that you're not going to be able to do if we don't pattern with particular people. Uh, just look at um, uh, when you go to uh, Second um, uh, Chronicles must be a chapter 2 and uh, verse 7 are still are speaking of the same thing uh, this very temple project you realize that in the wall of israel there was no one that could have done work in god and work in uh, uh, all that kind of work uh, that was done on the temple solomon had over 153,000 people that were working in uh, 
uh, these hard labor projects that were non-Israelites, but also among the Israelites, there was none that could do this. It took a heathen to come and do this. Look at verse 7. The Bible says, Now send me a skilled man to work in gold, silver, brass, and iron, and in purple, and purple, crimson, and violent fabrics, and who knows how to make engravings to work with the skilled men whom I have in Judah and Jerusalem, whom David my father provided. Send me also cedar, cypress, and algam timber from Lebanon, for I know that your servants know how to cut timber of Lebanon, and indeed my servants will work with your servants. You see that? And, and none could do that in, in Israel. None could do that. There was a covenant like we read earlier that uh, Solomon was to give um, um, Hiram wheat and, uh, and so on and so forth. And later he was to give him about um, a, 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 a 10 to 20 cities. Yes. <laughs> but when you look at the cities that Solomon gave, uh, to hear up. Sometimes the things that we do, we believers, in our relationship with unbelievers, are despicable. Yeah? In First Kings chapter uh, must be 9, or oh God have mercy, 9 and verse 10, um, Solomon gave cities to Hiram, but when you look at the sort of cities that he gave him, a believer to an unbeliever, you cannot believe it. Let me just read that quickly, uh, even as I plan to wind up. Uh, very soon here. It is very interesting how we are conducting ourselves before unbelievers. Uh, look at First Kings chapter 9. Let me take it from verse uh, 10. Uh, it says here, it came about at the end of 20 years in which Solomon had built uh, the two houses, the house of the Lord and the king's house. Hiram, king of Tyre, had supplied Solomon with cedar and cypress timber and gold according to all his desire. Then King Solomon gave Hiram 20 cities in the land of Galilee. So Hiram came out from Tyre to see the cities which Solomon had given him, and they did not please him. <laughs> Listen to that. He said, what are these cities which you've given me, my brother? So they were called the land of Kabul to this day. Kabul in Hebrew means good for nothing. Yeah. And Hiram sent um, uh, to the king 120 talents of gold. Now, I told it a talent is 34 kilo, kilograms. You can multiply that, and it is over uh, 300 kilograms of, of gold, 336 kilograms of gold. Can you imagine? And one kilogram of gold is 240 million on the world market today. How much money was that that he gave him? A lot of money, billions of shillings. You hear that? So you can see that Solomon, a believer, fleeced the king of Hiram. He gave him good-for-nothing cities. He actually gave them back to him. If you read Second Chronicles, and Solomon rebuilt them, and the people settled there. You, you, you see that? So that is what it is. Sometimes, even in our relationship with unbelievers, we do despicable things. And God looks at us, and we are more of the unbelievers, and uh, and God is, uh, and, and the unbelievers do things, and, you know, they are shamers in one way or the other. <laughs> you understand that? When you go to Isaiah, God uses two words to refer to an unbeliever, uh, Cyrus. He calls him his um, anointed, and he calls him a, a shepherd in the work of the redemption of his people. In Isaiah 44:28, it is amazing. The Bible teaches and says here uh, that um, it says, It is I who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, and he will perform all my desires. 
and he declares of Jerusalem, she will be built and over the temple. Your foundation will be laid. Thus says the Lord to Cyrus, eh? chapter 41, verse 45, verse 1 in Isaiah says, Thus says the Lord to Cyrus, his anointed, whom I have taken by the right hand to subdue nations before him and to lose the loins of kings, to open doors before him um, so that gates will not be shut. I'll go before you and make the rough places smooth. You see, God is even using um, an, uh, Cyrus as an image of the Messiah. You, you cannot believe this. And when Cyrus himself speaks uh, about himself, he says that uh, uh, God himself appointed me to do his work. Yeah, you know, this is the guy that releases the Israelites out of captivity to go back to their land. So you can see that God, um, in time immemorial, has uh, used um, unbelievers to do his will. Again, when you go back to the perspective of our passage of um, context of focus in First uh, Kings chapter 5, we realize that the Lord is sovereign. Now, are you going to stop God to do what he wants? God can use unbelievers. If he can use donkeys, uh, over prophets, he can use unbelievers. If he can use ravens as waiters, putting on white and black <laughs> to prepare food in the Sheraton of those days uh, and feed a prophet, he can use unbelievers. Friend, our Christianity has become so shallow and it has become very important in his power by separating it from unbelievers. We need to go in there. If we say we have power and authority, we need to go in there and exercise that power and authority, moreover, in love to touch them and impact them and bring them to Christ. But every time we isolate ourselves and look down upon unbelievers and don't, not, not go to them, we are basically missing out and messing, basically. That is what it is. <clears throat> that is what it is. How do you relate with unbelievers? Of course, we need to exercise caution. When Daniel went to Babylon, uh, we see him uh, working and serving very powerfully uh, among unbelievers in Babylon and serving with a heathen king, uh, Nebuchadnezzar. You see that? We, we, we see that? we see that happening. Uh, praise the Lord. But when uh, this man brings uh, food for him to eat, uh, he, uh, Daniel refused to defile himself with the king's food. So we are going to be led of the spirit in our relationship with unbelievers. That is basically what he means there. Daniel was able with his friends to live in there without getting adulterated and profaned by the works of unbelievers. You, you understand that? We see uh, this man called Nehemiah serving as the king's cupbearer in Persia. And he impacted uh, the people of the Lord. And it was his relationship with this king that enabled him to accomplish the project that God wanted him to accomplish, reconstructing the broken wall way back in Jerusalem. He needed clearances from governors. He needed uh, timber. He needed wood and all these things. And he was able to accomplish the project of the Lord. You see that? But even then, th that is so. There are times when um, unbelievers wanted to construct um, um, to, to construct the temple with the, 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 the returnees from Babylon, I think in uh, Ezra chapter 4. And they said, no, you won't. Because at that particular time, the Spirit of God revealed that their point in focus was to mess up the project basically this is what we are saying you're going to um let the spirit of god lead you uh, and show you what you exactly have gotten to do 
in uh, your relationship with unbelievers. This is what he's saying. We are not meant to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Jesus Christ himself sets the blueprint of us relating with unbelievers. Uh, when you go to Matthew chapter 9 and verse 10, uh, when uh, the Pharisees came and they were castigating Christ, I want you to see what he actually says to them in uh, Matthew chapter 9 and verse uh, 10. Look at what uh, the Savior of the world uh, says here, engaging with these guys that pretended to be uh, holier than he was. In uh, Matthew chapter 9 and verse 10, the Bible says, Then it happened that as Jesus was reclining at the table in the house, Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were dining with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw him, they said to his disciples, Why is your teacher eating with the tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard this, he said, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. But, and but go and learn what this means i desire compassion and not sacrifice for i did not come to call the righteous but sinners friends the work of the doctor is among the sick our work is among unbelievers friends that is why the church is devoid of power is important is losing its valve because we are separating ourselves from our very commission the Lord has commissioned us to go unto the whole world. Muslims need the gospel. Um, the diviners need the gospel. When I go to door to door and people are moving me around, I can even enter shrines. They need the Lord. Praise the Lord. Friends, how many unbelievers have, we, have you impacted this year? How many unbelievers are in your circles? How, how many are you impacting for Christ? This is the call that God has for us. God is not saying go and get married to them. That is different. Yeah, but he's saying in our relationship relationship with them, we are drawing them unto Christ. That is the essence. He's not saying we are going to unite with them in doing what they do. Not at all. He cautions us and he says, do not love the world, nor what is in the world. For um, um, the, the desires of the flesh, the love of the world, and the self-exhortation uh, that is the world is not uh, from the Father, but from the world. May the Lord bless you as you re-examine your ministry philosophy, as you re-examine your uh, interpersonal relationship philosophy as you relate with unbelievers relate with them with the goal of winning them for christ and exercise caution under the leadership of the spirit of the lord may the, the lord bless you even as you pursue his will today god bless you god bless you indeed amen